Welcome to Money Matters TV. My name is Dave Emery. I'm with Planning Capital Management. We have a great show today. I'd like to introduce my, my co-host, Doug Hepburn of Hepburn Financial Advisors. Hi, Doug. How are you? Great, thanks. How are you, Dave? Doing Good real well. Good to see you. Wanted to first uh, read a, a quick disclosure. Um, Doug Hepburn is an investment advisor representative offering securities and investment advisory services through Satera Advisory LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, a broker dealer and registered investment advisor. Satera is under separate ownership from any other entity. All right. Well, welcome. It's uh, good seeing you again. Yeah, good to see you too. So, uh, good to see uh, you too. Uh, so I thought I, uh, um, start off the show by uh, kind of chatting a little bit on, on what, well, what, what, what you see for 2022 um, as things start to, start to unroll here. Um, you know, that's and, probably, it's probably <clears throat> what's on everybody's mind right now. I mean, we, we had uh, the huge, the huge V shaped recession, if you will, and recovery <clears throat> and a lot of great growth last year. Um, but then growth started to slow down in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter. So, we're seeing growth slow down, I think, principally because of, um, uh, you know, the supply chain constraints, mm -hmm. right? And, right. And also, uh, people's expectation of growth is, has been dialed back just mm -hmm. because the likelihood <laughs> of additional stimulus is, is pretty slim at this point. Yeah, right. I mean, I think uh, kind of piggyback off of that, yeah, that along with you know, the COVID is just still still hanging there with us. And I think there's some unsettledness with that, uh, with yeah. the labor market. Um, uh, the uh, <clears throat> the feds are, are signaling that there's there is going to be you know, increased interest rates moving forward. And, uh, you know, with, with with both of those items and, and uh, and the supply chain, yeah, just uh, anticipated that you know 2022 will will be slower than um, than 2021. So. Yeah, I agree, and and that's that's what I'm hearing from most economists. Um, <clears throat> just just because you know they're they're projecting three interest rate hikes mm -hmm. for this year. Now, most of them are going are expected to come, you know, probably in the beginning the middle of the year to mm -hmm. the end of the year, second half. So, um, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how much that's of an effect that has on the economy. I think yeah. they only expect uh, quarter point increases. So it's probably not going to be much uh, to slow down growth. Uh, but, you know, the Fed needs to respond because mm -hmm. we're seeing some pretty high inflation and that's right. caused a lot of concerns. Yeah, and the whole the whole the whole uh, topic of um, you know, is inflation transitory or, or not? I mean, uh, right. That, that's on that's on people's minds too. Um, so with that and interest rates rising uh, over you know the over, over the course of twenty twenty two, it may, it makes sense as to why things will you know may not be as robust in 2022 as they were in twenty twenty one. Right. Well, I think the big question mark. From the inflation front is, um, you know, a lot of people say it's going to be transitory. And uh, although the Fed removed that language from their uh, most recent announcement, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the with the supply chain bottlenecks that we're seeing, mm -hmm. there's the there's the chance that we're just going to see a flood of products at the very end. All this mm -hmm. stuff that's been held up 
is right. finally going to hit the markets. Right. And it'll be interesting to see whether prices actually go down. I think. Yeah. And, and, and when that happens, mm-hmm. you know, when, when are we going to see the flood of flood of goods finally hit the market when things normalize? Right. And is that going to drive prices down? Um, right. That's that's a big question, and particularly uh, for the Fed, because mm-hmm. the last thing they want to do is is see prices go down and get into a deflationary spiral. But I doubt that that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I mean, you know, we hear about all these. Uh, Freighters are off the coast of California, and yeah, when, when they finally when it does finally normalize, um, and I don't know, Miami. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm not quite sure when that is, but you know, you're right. I mean, um, what what's going to happen? Are people going to inventory those products and then kind of wait to sell them off at higher prices? Or are they going to, you know, what's going to happen? I don't know. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. So, uh, and and interest rates <laughs> are going to play a big part in that, I think, because. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just just imagine for a second, you're a you're a uh, a retailer and you've got all, or a wholesaler and you've got all these products on your shelf. Mm-hmm. If your borrowing cost is really low, you can afford to keep them on the shelf and sell them at a higher price. Right. But if you've got loans, you have to pay. Exactly. Or, or if you just pay cash for it and and uh, your cash flow positive. Um, there's no real need to to sell. But mm-hmm. if you've got loans, you have to pay. You're going to be unloading inventory as quickly as you can. Right. As long as margins hold up. That's right. So uh, let's maybe uh, shift shift gears a little bit. You know, um, uh, we talked a little bit briefly about alternative investments before before the show. You want to talk a right. little bit about that? Yeah. Well, you know, in, it's interesting <clears throat> in, the, in this reach for yield that we see a lot of people doing in their portfolios. Uh, mm-hmm. You're seeing that treasuries really aren't yielding anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're more balanced for a portfolio. Right. And so, what else do you have to sort of balance out your equity positions? You got corporates, high yields, and which are, you know, generally the typical uh, mm-hmm. asset classes that people will, will right. model in there. But high yields are, are at really high prices mm-hmm. right now. And uh, so, People are looking at alternative investments as a way to sort of get fixed income or even equity returns with fixed income risk. Right. And right. when people think of alternatives, it's a whole asset class of, of uh, uh, investments that may have less liquidity. So they're longer term investments. For example, real estate is a very mm-hmm. popular alternative investment. Right. Um, and other ones uh, such as um bank loans or private lending, you know, in the two, uh, financial crisis of 2008, mm-hmm. we had a lot of, uh, <clears throat> uh, a lot of, a lot of companies started up to do direct lending to private companies. So alternative investments, I think are going to be, uh, important this year in order to, uh, balance out people's portfolios and generate some yield. Yeah. That make, it all makes, depends on what your risk tolerance is, time horizon, and your, your appetite for liquidity. So that makes sense. So, uh, um, and uh, I'll fold in nicely to the, to the guests we have, which uh, we'll, we'll be introducing here shortly. So, yeah. um, so uh, you got time for a question? Sure. Okay. Sure. What do you got? Okay. Question that we have is from Sam Martin. He, he's in Boston. And the question is what are some advantages of buying ETFs? Sam, that's a great question. You know, for many years, people invested in mutual funds and mutual funds were, were great vehicles for a long time, but they had a couple of inherent 
issues with them. One is that they would uh, they only settle at the end of the day. And mm -hmm. two, when you bought in, you may be buying into unrealized capital gains. So when they sell off those securities, you pay gains on stuff that you really didn't participate in. Exchange traded funds have were developed as tax efficient vehicles that can trade throughout the day. So you don't have to wait until four o'clock to for them to settle. And there's full transparency in what they own. In addition, many of them track indexes. They also have lower costs. So <laughs> the world is is actually very quickly moving to to exchange traded funds as a vehicle for a lot of portfolio management. Good answer. Fantastic answer. So if you're interested in sending a question to Money Matters TV, here's how you do it. You can have your questions answered on Money Matters. Please go to our website, money-matters-tv.com. On our homepage, click on the banner on the right that says, send us your questions. While you're on our website, you can find information about our hosts and guests, as well as show notes and links about this show and past shows. Money Matters is also available as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, so you can listen to Money Matters while you're on the go. That website address, again, is money, M-O-N-E-Y, dash matters, M-A-T-T-E-R-S, tv.com. Fantastic. So we have a, a wonderful guest here the, today. Our guest is Dan Del Mar. He's from Virtual Angels Network. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, glad to have you here. So uh, can you start off by telling us a little bit on what is angel investing? Well, angel investing is investing in startups, very young businesses. Uh, the investors called angels normally invest after the founder of the business, if, if the founder <laughs> had money to invest initially. And uh, after any investments by friends and family, if, if that happens. The, the angel investment round of financing is, is typically before investment by institutions, that is venture capital funds. Angels are investing their own money while venture capital funds invest and manage other people's money for a fee. Interesting. So. It sounds like there's probably a lot of risks associated with with angel investing. Is that right, Dan? Yes. Uh, individual angel investments are very high risk. Uh, they're also illiquid for you can't cash them in and, or sell them for a good five to ten years. Historically, 70% of individual angel investments have returned less than the amount of the investment, including returning nothing. <laughs> they lose all your money. Wow. So you may yeah. just be buying tax losses. Well, yeah. Um, on, on the one side. On the, on the other side, 20% return one, one to five times the amount invested, but that's after oh, wow. some years of waiting. Wow. Yeah. And 10% 10 per, 10 return five times or more the investment. So it's a big uh, dispersion. That, that, the, the last 10% really provides all of the profit of the whole portfolio. The problem is that you don't know when you invest which will be the highly successful one. 
or, or if you even have one in your portfolio of angel investments. Right. So, uh, so what is an appropriate angel investment portfolio? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, it's it's somewhat based on on uh, on the the levels of risk and the dispersion of of return. So, eighty percent of angel investment checks are for twenty five thousand dollars. You know, ten percent are smaller, ten percent are larger. You need a minimum of ten, preferably twenty. <clears throat> separate angel investments built built up over three to five years, probably. Now, the SEC requirements for accredited investors, which is what you have to be to invest, invest in angel investments, is, is either $200,000 a year of income for an individual or $300,000 a year for a couple or a million dollars net worth investable assets, ex- excluding the equity from your home primary residence. So generally speaking, it's advisable that the total amount in angel investments should not exceed 10% of your whole investment portfolio. You should be prepared to lose individual investments completely. And you should leave some of some of that for uh, follow-on investments if you choose to in, in the few companies that, that you invest in that are successful because they usually do later rounds as they grow. They need more money uh, before an exit. So you should do your due diligence, uh, more likely to succeed financially. At Virtual Angels Network, we leverage the due diligence work of our members to the benefit of all members. And and a study by Kaufman Institute showed that exit multiples were three times higher when an investor had expertise in the company's industry. So at Virtual Angels Network, we leverage the varied industry experience of our members to the benefit of all members also. And given the high risk of each individual angel investment, there's also great benefit from diversification, including diversification of industries. So an example for my angel investing, my my greatest career experience is in enterprise software. Hmm. My angel investments are in enterprise software. Hmm. I also have had a very successful investment, almost nine times return in a pet treat, pet food company, which yeah. I would say is as different as possible from enterprise software. Sounds like it. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> so I, I have the other half of my angel investments in a wide variety of industries for diversification. Unless it's a pet computer, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that one yet. Computer pet food. Um, so, you know, it sounds like angel investing is obviously pretty risky. The SEC requires that you be a, uh, an accredited investor and a small portion of your portfolio is allocated to it. Is there, why would people do that? I mean, is it really just for the, the, the high multiple potential high multiple of return on, on a, a small number of companies you invest in? Uh, well, yes, the financial returns are, are the, the most important reason. There's a, a study by Robert Wiltbank of the Angel Resource Association that showed that the average internal rate of return of U.S. angel group investments is 22% per year. That's very attractive, particularly in an environment where government bonds return a, a couple of percent. Angel investing also tends to be a good diversification from stock market investing and economic risk. Each individual angel investment 
is high risk, but the risks are different than the general stock market risk. Angel investments perform primarily based on the performance of the team, the product or service, and, and the individual businesses, as opposed to stock market investments, where a big risk is the overall economy, recession or high inflation. And, and just the, the standard uh, uh, systematic risks that come yeah. with, with stock market investing, you know, technical risks like supply and demand of buyers and sellers. Yeah. And, and it's an illiquid product. It, it is. There, there are a couple of non-financial uh, issues or uh, opportunities, benefits as well of angel investing. Uh, involvement with and support of the entrepreneurial community, which is the growth engine of our economy. And, sure. and being exposed to leading edge technology and businesses, uh, that's, that's very interesting. <clears throat> Exciting and certainly one of the main motivators mm -hmm. for me. So, um, uh, can you talk a little bit about why join an, an angel investment group? I guess there's a number of choices. Why, you know, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, the the, the first reason is is teamwork. With all all my career experience, when I started angel investing, I did not want to make these decisions investments on my own. Mm -hmm. Now with even after more than 10 years of angel investing experience, I still want other people on my team with their experience, questions, and judgment. So we do due diligence together. It saves a lot of time to do it together, to mm -hmm. do all, all aspects of the, the whole process together. Sure. And at Virtual Angels Network, at the end, on the other hand, after all this teamwork, we still leave the choice of whether to invest or not in a, in a particular company to the individual. And I, I certainly like that, that res, uh, responsibility and, and authority to make my own decisions. So how big of a group is, uh, you know, to typically have of an in, uh, angel investment group? Is it just a couple of people or is it how, just how big are we talking? Oh, I, uh, the groups around the country traditionally have, have ranged from uh, 20, 20 people to a uh, couple of hundred. Mm -hmm. But the most common is, is like 50 to, 50 to 75. Uh, so, yeah. you know, I, I had a question on a follow on question to something you mentioned earlier. And you said that, uh, and I found this interesting. You said everybody does their due diligence, but they each individually invest. So it's not as though somebody is putting money into, say, a fund, fund. Where, exactly. where the funds are, or where the, the money is invested based on the manager's decision. It's it's the opposite. In the network. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's it it you get the benefit of of knowledgeable people among the members, but you you get the the. Uh, authority and responsibility of making your own decisions on individual investments. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. A fund, you know, a venture capital fund is, is a very reasonable alternative for uh, some people who, who don't, don't want that responsibility. You might right, say. Right. But is but don't uh, don't venture capital funds typically come in after the angel rounds? 
Yes, they 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 tend to they tend to be um, a little later making larger investments in in more right. mature more mature companies. Okay, interesting, fantastic. Yeah, what made you, now? So, what made you start Virtual Angels Network? Well, uh, my career uh, many decades was primarily in consulting at uh, Bain. And company for five years, Accenture for three years, but mostly more than 20 years, three different times, my own consulting practice. And I also had a couple of uh, corporate roles, the most recent being six years as an executive in IBM's corporate strategy department. So uh, when I started Angel, and I'd done a lot of investing in, in public s- stocks over the decades, some of it very successful. And uh, uh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I was a a founding member of the Harvard Business School Alumni Angels of New York. And for the last seven years, I was on the board of HBS Angels of New York uh, as their chief mentor. And uh, when when the pandemic hit, everything became virtual. Uh, I realized there was an opportunity to overcome one of, one of the limitations of, of HBS Angels, which, which was that they only allowed members who were alumni of, of Harvard. And uh, so I started Virtual Angels Network, a completely virtual national group of experienced MBA and other advanced degree holder uh, angel investors. I, I opened <coughs> Uh, a much wider range of people. Uh, and, and what we do is, is bring the best deals from all over the country to our members all over the country. And our website is virtualangels.net. Fascinating. So, um, so what are the startups that apply and pitches, pitch to uh, Virtual Angel Network like? Well, the, the f- first thing is that they're, they're venture scale. They're very high growth potential companies. Hmm. Uh, they're typically technology, well, they're pretty much all technology enabled and a, a smaller number of them are actually advancing technology themselves. Hmm. In terms of industry, okay. there's a wide range. The, the largest industry, the most common is companies from healthcare and life sciences, including medical devices and digital health. But there's also internet businesses, software, consumer right. products and e-commerce, agricultural chemicals, alternative energy, financial technology known as fintech, hmm. all kinds of industries. Now, in terms of stage, uh, as we touched on so far um, with Doug, everything I'm, I'm going to say about stage is different for, for healthcare companies sure. that require some version of FDA approval <laughs> about other industries. There's companies in the idea stage. We're, we're really not interested in those. Right. Pre-seed, first outside money, hundred dollars to $500,000 that they're raising. We have some there, and they're typically at like a 2 to $4 million valuation. The most, the, the most common is seed stage companies. Pro, they probably have an MVP, a minimum viable product, maybe some right. customers, more to prove product market fit than for mm-hmm. financial impact. And they're raising 500000 to $4 million. And most of the companies we invite 
uh, to pitch are, are at this and they're, they're valued at three to 15 million. And then there's some uh, more mature companies, series A uh, round financing there. That's uh, they're typically a million dollars of revenue annually, annually growing rapidly, raising two to $15 million pre-money valuation of 10 to $15 million used to be that series A rounds were in the range of two to 5 million, but over the last few years, the amounts raised and valuations have, have shot way up. So the, the ones that, the ones that pitch you, I mean, the, um, I assume that not everyone that pitches you ends up um, being part of the uh, people that you invest in. Is that right? Oh yeah. There's um, the, 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 the process is is that we, we source deals from all over North America. Our members a- attend many virtual pitch events from other angel groups and pitch competitions mm. and encourage the most exciting young companies to apply to, to Virtual Angels Network. Now, we also get a good number of applications directly, but frankly, almost all, none of them have been up to the standards of our recommended applications. So the rejection rate's probably pretty high. Yeah. And that's just the first stage. So we generate high quality. I beg your pardon? That's yeah. a good thing because it weeds it out the, you know, thing, the products and, and companies that probably aren't going to be profitable. Yeah, we, we generate high quality deal flow. And then we use a communications platform called Gus.com, which is used by hundreds of angel groups worldwide. We get one or two of our members or people in our networks who have experience in the industry of the applying company to screen the application materials, rate them, and then we invite the four uh, to to our pitch event. Uh, They have seven minutes to pitch, seven Mm -hmm. minutes for questions. And then afterwards, we have a discussion without them there so we can be honest. That's great. Then we do due diligence, Mm -hmm. and then people get to make their decisions as to whether to invest or not. Uh, that's great. Well, so we have, we have a couple more minutes left. This is some really great information. So uh, maybe you could comment on, in the last couple of minutes, what kind of people join Virtual Angels Network? Yeah, well, we're, we're quite exclusive. Uh, we, we require an MBA or other advanced degree. Uh, they have to be work, have work experience, at least a decade. And uh, some of some of our members have uh, a number of decades of experience. It can be experience in any industry since we look at many different industries and they have to be an accredited investor, which they self-certify. Beyond that, we have a wide variety of, of members. Some, some have made dozens of angel investments. Others have made just one or, or none, or and they appreciate the opportunity to learn. Some have never belonged to an angel group. Others have belonged to a local angel group and, and get the benefit. And, and, and some belong to several angel groups already and want to broaden their deal flow for to get the benefits of drawing on the experience of our quality members. Uh, some have time to contribute to sourcing, screening, and due diligence or taking a leadership role. In but virtual. that's not required, is it? It's not required, exactly. Others okay. have almost no time, and they want to benefit from the wisdom right. and work of other members. Uh, so as I mentioned, our website is virtualangels.net. We, we have a virtual pitch event on Thursday, January 20th. If any uh, viewer would like an exclusive invitation to that pitch event or the next one, email me now 
at dan at virtualangels.net and provide your LinkedIn profile link. That sounds great. If you've never attended an angel group pitch event, I think you would find it fascinating. And if you have attended a pitch event, I guarantee that you will find the quality of the company's pitching, the members attending, and the conversation to be exceptional. Well, that's great, Dan. I really, really appreciate the all the insight. Very interesting topic. Um, so thank you for joining our show. So I uh, just want to announce our guest for next week. It's it's Jorg Algrim, and he's uh, the CEO for the Center of Breakthrough Medicines. So make sure to tune in for that. I uh, just want to say thank you for joining us on Money Matter. And just remember, this is where your money matters.